He's working out an eternal weight of glory, the text says, beyond all comparison. As we look, here it is, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They're here today and gone tomorrow, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Where's your perspective today? Are you focused on earthly things or are you focused on eternal things? Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. So as we bow before you, O God, as we worship you, as we cling to the old rugged cross and rest to the victory of the empty tomb, O God, we simply shout, we know that our Redeemer lives. And so, Father, as you speak into our lives right now, that we would operate from a position of victory, not hoping this is going to work out, but we know with confidence, O God. But you can do and will do a great and mighty work as we submit joyfully to you. So, Father, as we open your word, would you speak? Would you stir? Would you move? Give us tender hearts, O God. Humble, tender hearts that long to be in your presence, that long to drink deeply from the well of your word. Oh, Holy Spirit, don't allow us to grieve you. Don't allow us to quench you. But I pray right now we'd walk in freedom. We'll give you the praise. We'll give you the glory. And we pray this all in the mighty, in the matchless name of King Jesus and all God's people said, amen. I want to invite you to take your Bible and let's turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, as we're looking at verses 6 through 7 today in this glorious passage. The title of the message, as you see there in your notes today, is simply this, what are my trials producing? The reality is that our trials, your trials and mine, and we all have them, are producing something. If we are in union to Christ, the trials that you and I go through, and by the way, you can't circumvent these, you can't take a detour around them, trials are a part of a broken, fallen, depraved life that we live in. But we can be more than overcomers, amen, in the midst of our trials, but everything is an outflow, everything's an outflow of your union with Christ. If you and I are truly united to Christ, how we respond to our trials will be in direct proportion to our union with Christ. If we're not in union with Christ, if we don't have the united spirit with Christ, we will respond to the trials of life in that same vein. You see, here at our church, we believe in the mission, amen? The mission is very simple. We say we're here for the glory of God to be disciples that make disciples. 
We could even shorten it down because we know that giving glory to God is a statement that we already believe in. So if we want to tighten that up even more, we could simply say this, that we exist to make disciples. Hey, what do you guys do there at Enon Baptist Church? What do you guys do down there at that church? We make disciples. We are all in for the mission, and everything that we do revolves around the mission. The question that I ask you and ask myself this morning is this, what are we doing to advance the mission personally? What are we doing this morning to contribute to the mission personally? It's interesting when you think about that thought because the mission and the trials go hand in hand. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, I made a couple notes here on the front end of this before we read, and and this is what I, I wrote down. I said, our trials are always producing something. Our trials are producing either a greater intimacy with Christ, or they're producing a jaded negative attitude that poisons everywhere we go. It's either driving us towards Christ and others towards Christ, or we also think about it from this directive, our trials have a purpose. And for the true believer, because we fall into the pit often because of our fleshliness of spiritual apathy, when things are going well, we often tend to sink deeper into the comfort, don't we? It's just so easy, right? Things are going well, and we really don't need God. But what happens, we look at life, and pain begins to invade. And the pain, church, don't miss this, the pain often redirects us back to God. You think about the mission. You think about our pain. Well, here's what Peter said about this in 1 Peter. Chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. Here's what he says, in this, don't miss that, you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Now look at verse 7, so that, here's the why, the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found, church, to do what? To result. To result in what? Praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What a day that's going to be, amen? I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to seeing Jesus. I can't wait to stand in His presence. I can't wait to cross the finish line. I don't want to coast. I want to break the tape. I want to be one that says, man, I'm running hard after Jesus. I want to make a difference. I want to leave it all on the field. How about you? I want to be that person that says, there are no regrets. It wasn't always good. Matter of fact, there were some days it was pretty lousy. But we run hard. We run hard because Jesus gave it all. We should give it all as well. Amen? And yet it's so easy if we're not careful to forget the mission. In the midst of the pain of life, if we're not careful, we can completely miss the mission of life. Peter right here, you got to remember, he's writing and he's saying, look, I know I've really dropped the ball a lot of my life, 
denied Christ, uh, not a good thing. And what happens? He writes this glorious epistle that he comes out of the gate saying, look, I know you're dispersed. I know you're going through trials. And he says these words right here in this, in verse 6. He doesn't say apart from this. He actually says in this. Like in the midst of your pain today, in it, not apart from it, but in it, God can do His magnificent work. It's hard to grab onto that at times though, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I'm definitely not a pain addict. I don't uh, lobby for God to bring pain into my life. But the reality is, is pain happens. Life lets us down. There's disappointments, there's trials, there's tribulations, there's the losses of life. And for some of us, you feel like they're just piling up one after another, like, God, can you give me a break? Can you cut me some slack? I don't know how much more I can take of this. I'm, I'm about ready to hit the done button. And Peter says, look, you believers, as he's writing to these Jews, and yes, even Gentiles, saying, your pain has a glorious, overarching purpose that in this, you do what? You rejoice. I don't know about you, but when you get challenging news, is the first thing that you do is grab the pom-poms? I typically don't. See, Peter, as he's writing from one who has the t-shirt, he's been through so much heartache and so much pain, some self-inflicted, and we can all identify with that to some degree, some inflicted upon us. Here he is at this stage in his life. Look in verse 3 in your Bible. Just go up to verse 3 for a moment, because this is the launching pad, verse 3, of his in this you rejoice. Look what he says here in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, exclamation point, according to His great mercy. He has caused us to be born again, to be alive to a hope that's not dead, but a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To what? To an inheritance to an inheritance that is imperishable, it's undefiled, it's unfading, and it's kept. It's waiting, reserved, RSVP in heaven for the true believer. He sets us up so beautifully. He says, here's what's waiting for you. Oh, by the way, in these trials that you're going through, keep your eyes on the inheritance, not on the trials. And when you do that, you can begin to rejoice. It actually means this in the original language, to leap for joy. Just think on that for a moment. I know there are some people that would argue that all religions lead to the Disneyland in the sky. Not true. Just think through this for a moment. If we were to argue that all roads lead to the Disneyland in the sky, 
we're actually denying Scripture and we're denying Jesus because he says this exclusive, emphatic statement in John 14, 6. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. And you say, how does that weave into this text? Well, well, what do you do in the midst of your pain? I mean, what are your trials? What are my trials today? What are they producing? They're producing something. In the midst of your pain today, as we look from what Peter is imploring them and us today, he's saying, don't miss an opportunity to use your trial as a billboard for the glory of Jesus. You rejoice. Exceedingly glad, jumping for joy, though now for a little while in your Bible, verse 6, look at that, though now for a little while, temporarily, see our trials are temporary, don't miss this point, whatever you're dealing with today, at some point will be over. You may carry this all your life, that is a possibility, but for the true believer, there's going to come a day when you stand face to face with King Jesus that we're glorified, and the Bible says this, we will be like Him. What a day that's going to be, amen? No more pain, no more suffering, no more tears, no more sin in my life. Does anyone else look forward to that component of heaven? Like, no more sin in my life. No longer in this battle, this grapple, this body of death. In this, we rejoice. How do you rejoice in pain? You don't look at the pain. You look at the inheritance in Jesus. And so many people, even myself at times, miss this. See, our pain's temporary. It's for a little while. And then he says these words, if necessary. That's interesting. Did you pick up on this? Let me read this again. So here's what the word says. In this you rejoice. So in the inheritance, but also in the trials. It's a bookend, two bookends. Though now for a little while, temporary, if necessary. What's he getting at here? What is Peter getting at saying, if necessary, you're going to be grieved by these trials? Where's he going with this? Well, it means this, when you look in your Bible, if necessary, it means that they serve a purpose, your trials. If needed, if essential. I alluded to this a little bit earlier, but at least this is the way I'm wired. If things are going really, really well, I can be tempted to... Hey, thanks, God. Appreciate you. Uh, we got your number. Uh, we'll tweet you. We'll gram you when we need you again. Right? It's just real easy to go, wow, this is great on the mountain. Glad we're up here. We'll call you when we need you. That's not how God wants this relationship to work. He desires that whether we're in the valley or the mountain, there's a desperate, constant communion and dependence upon Him. And in these bodies of death, the way that He uses this often is He allows pain into our lives to get our attention and keep us running back to Him. You know, when you're suffering in pain, and when I say pain, just not physical, but emotional, mental, spiritual, 
It's often hard to be prideful when you're in the midst of that, isn't it? Like if you can pull that off, that's amazing actually. Because typically we're just, we're so in dire straits and need that it's just like, God, you got my attention. Hey, whatever you want, I'll move to Africa and live in a hut. I don't care what we got to do to fix this thing. Let's fix it yesterday. He has our attention. Peter says, look, in this, not apart from it, but in it, in the midst of your pain today, you look towards the inheritance knowing that it's working, the pain is, directing me and you towards Christ. And as He directs us towards Christ, what's going to happen? Well, here's the outflow. Love this. It's not good, but I love it. You have been grieved. You say, why would you love that? Have you ever wept before? Like, I mean, just wept? Your heart is broken. There's something about when you just weep and your heart is open and it's tender and it's humble. There's just a contrition and a brokenness. See, in the midst of our trials, church, they're producing something. And as they're producing something, right here it is, there's a grief often. It means this literally, to be thrown into heavy sorrow. So picture this verse. You rejoice. There's jumping for joy on one end. And then he goes down and says, wait a minute though, for a little while temporarily, which by the way, our trials don't last forever. If necessary, if needed, if essential, Our trials will conform us prayerfully to the image of Christ. And then, wait a minute, you've been grieved. Our trials produce sorrow. Sorrow is not a bad thing. Jesus wept. Jesus, on the night He's being betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, the text says this, that He goes a little further. He goes a little further, and in this most pivotal hour, He's praying, and He's asking the disciples to watch and pray, watch and pray, watch and pray. He says, intercede for me as I'm literally beginning to sweat drops of blood. Think about that. He's sweating drops of blood. What a powerful visual that is, that he's sweating drops of blood. When's the last time you sweat drops of blood? Do you see the sorrow? Do you see the anguish? There is something that happens in a person's life when they are under heavy sorrow that it can drive them desperately into the presence of Jesus. But I believe our key number one sums us up most beautifully. And here's key number one. We can rejoice in our trials if we want to. Key number one, write it down. We can rejoice in our trials if we want to. You know, contentment really is a choice. This is one of my struggles that my family knows that I've dealt with for for some time, and, and God's working on me, and I pray that We're seeing fruit from that in a positive way, but it's very easy to be discontent, isn't it? Discontent, disobey, a lot of dissing going on, so to speak. 
God calls us to obedience, to contentment. Matter of fact, the Word says this, godliness with contentment is great gain. So you take godliness with contentment, there's great profit in that. But it really is a choice, isn't it? I can choose to be content. doesn't mean that I like what's going on, but I can say, God, you brought me to it. You're going to lead me through it. Where you guide, you provide. Where you lead, you feed. Uh, all the Christianese t-shirt sayings are true, that we rest in that. We, there's something of confidence that we, we rest in this. But it's a choice. One of my heroes, Hudson Taylor, the great missionary who suffered greatly. By the way, these early missionaries, these were amazing people. Uh, they weren't looking for a path that had already been paved. They were blazing the trail. And the bullets and everything else they took head on. And sure enough, Hudson Taylor, who has so many powerful quotes, he said this that, that gripped me this past week when I saw this. I quote Hudson Taylor, I used to ask God to help me. Then I asked if I might help him. I ended up by asking God to do his work through me, end quote. Is there anything inherently wrong with asking God to help us? Well, the answer is no. A scripture shows us over and over where we cast our burdens on the Lord. The psalmist cries out over and over about, God, help me. You're my refuge and my strength. Absolutely. But there is some deep truth in what Hudson Taylor says. That at some point in the midst of the pain, we turn this thing around and go, God, I don't like it. It's lousy. It stinks. But nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Like, what do you want to do, God? How do you want to move? How do you want to show yourself mighty? How do you want to redeem a lost generation? How do you want to bring revival? How do you want to bring awakening? How do you want to bring reformation? God, what do you want to do? We begin to ask God what we can do for Him. You say, well, how do you do that? Because maybe you're here today and you're struggling with rejoicing in trials. Like I'm sure all of us are to some degree. Well, how about we take our cues from the Word of God? Sound good to you? Write this down. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 10. 2 Corinthians 6.10, this is Paul writing to the church in Corinth, and they were a messed up, jacked up church, and he's in so much suffering, and here's what he says in that one verse. Listen carefully. He says, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Well, it sounds familiar, doesn't it? As poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, Yet church, what? Possessing everything. How do you write this? How on earth are you shipwrecked, beaten, abandoned by friends, lied about, slandered, all for the cause of the gospel, and somehow you write these words as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything, 
How do you write this? I'll tell you how you write this. You go back to 1 Peter chapter 1, 3 through 5, and you say, Blessed be the Lord our God, Jesus Christ. You go, He's prepared an inheritance for us that this world can never destroy. Well, we keep our eyes on the prize, don't we? In the midst of the pain, the things of this earth will grow strangely dim, as the song says in the light of His glory and His grace. Sorrowful, but always rejoicing. Having nothing but possessing everything in Jesus Christ. Oh, that makes my heart sing, and I pray it does for yours as well. Write down Philippians chapter 3. So now to the church in Philippi, verse 10 He really digs deep now. So at Corinth and now Philippi, listen to what he writes. Think about his life and the pain and the suffering. He says this in verse 10 of chapter 3, Philippians, that I may know him, that I may know him. There's intimacy and the power of His resurrection. Now, we could stop there and go, that's an amazing verse. We want to know Jesus, and we want the power. Amen? Man, we want to slay kingdoms. We want to, you know, subdue lions, right? Man, we're all amen in that. And where's the clipboard to sign up for that team? Well, the verse goes on. And, and may share fellowship in His sufferings. Becoming like Him in His death. Church, are we seeing this? There's a reason God allows your trials into your life today. And the reason they're in there for me and for you, ultimately, is to sanctify us and to make us more like Jesus. But they're also a billboard for a watching world that's looking and saying, how do you get that health report and how do you keep on going? How do you get served divorce papers by an unbelieving spouse? And you're like, the Lord gives and He takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. How do you go through financial collapse and you're like, oh my God, He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Every beast of the field is His. Oh, by the way, He also owns the hills. How do you do this? That's because you know the mission. And you know who owns the mission. Sorrowful, always rejoicing. I may know Him, Philippians, and the power of His resurrection, and I might share. I might fellowship with Him in His sufferings. See, so many people today that, like I said, they're clamoring for the power of the resurrection, but how can you, church, from a biblical mindset, how can you separate, extrapolate, the power of the resurrection from the fellowship of His sufferings. You can't do it. Our pain has purpose, and our pain's producing something one way or the other. You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. 
That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. How about Romans? Let's see what Paul says there as we're scouring the Scriptures together. Romans chapter 8, famous text. You probably have this uh, on a coffee mug or a doormat at home. Romans 8, 31 through 39. Here it is. What then shall we say to these things? Question mark. If God is for us, who can be against us? Amen, church? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will we not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, declares righteous, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who is indeed is interceding for us? Did you catch that? Like in the midst of your trial today, Jesus is interceding. Like He's in the midst of what's going on in your world. All the choices, all the decisions, all the setbacks. He is in the very midst as you're giving your life to Him daily, surrendering more and more, dying to self, crucifying the flesh. He, Jesus, is in the midst interceding. I don't know about you, but if there's one person I want interceding for me, His name's Jesus. And then what does Paul go on to say? Back up to 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? He asked the question. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Answer. It's not tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And then 37. No. Here it is. Here's the big red bow right here. No. In all these things, not apart from these things, in them, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. How? Through Him, the King who loved us. For I am sure, for I am confident, for I am resolved, I am determined that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else, he's covering the whole gamut, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And all God's people said, That's a hallelujah moment, isn't it? In. (laughs) In. Not apart from. Lord, get me out of this mess. I've prayed that more times than I can count. What if the beauty of your story is actually being woven in it? Not apart from it. You notice that Paul said there in that text, in these things, we are more than conquerors. In the original, it means this, hyper-victory. 
crazy, isn't it? Wait a minute, we're supposed to jump for joy? And we're grieving and we're sorrowful and always rejoicing in this pendulum, this dichotomy. We keep our eyes on the prize. No matter what you're dealing with today, just focus on Jesus. That's my advice to every person here, especially the young people. You're setting yourself up for life. Just focus on Jesus. Like in everything you do, just focus on Jesus. I was thinking through that whole thought and couldn't help but think of 2 Corinthians going back there, chapter 4, 16 through 18. So Paul again, great affliction. What does he say? Here's his admonition and encouragement. So we do not lose heart. You ever wanted to lose heart? You ever felt like just, I'm done. I'm not going down this path any longer. That's what Paul says. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Well, we get older. That's a true statement, amen? Our inner self is, I love this, is being renewed. How often? Day by day. See, it's a closer walk with thee, isn't it? We're just walking day by day. We're being renewed. We're renewed for the light. I love this. For this light, momentary affliction. Don't miss this. So here, Paul, from experience, not happenstance or hearsay, he's been there. He's got the t-shirt. He's saying, look, it's light. These afflictions, they're actually light. They don't seem like it, but they're light. They're momentary. Peter already told us that. They're temporary. And what are they doing? They are preparing. See, the afflictions and the trials you're going through today are actually going before you, and they're working on your behalf. As God is behind the scenes orchestrating the chessboard, He is working on your behalf in the midst of the trial, not apart from it. He's in it. Oh, how I long to embrace this in my personal life like I should. And I pray that I will. He's working out an eternal weight of glory, the text says, beyond all comparison. As we look, here it is, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They're here today and gone tomorrow, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Where is your perspective today? Are you focused on earthly things or are you focused on eternal things? Paul knew this and he implored us. That's why as we go back to 1 Peter, what a great encouragement from 1 Peter 5. Write this down, last verse under this supporting text area of key number one. 1 Peter 5. We'll get to 1 Peter 5 probably in a few months, but we'll get there at some point. Listen to these glorious words that you can look forward to at the end of 1 Peter when we get there. Chapter 5, verse 10. Here's what Peter says. I love this. For you that are discouraged, for you that perhaps are in despair and despondent and you don't understand, you just don't get it, how a good God would allow you, given your life to Jesus, and this is what He's given you, a big bag of suffering. Oh, here's 1 Peter. Here's the encouragement. Chapter 5, verse 10, and after, I love that. 
What's that tell you? And after you have suffered a little while. What's that tell you? You know what that tells me? That tells me my suffering's coming to an end. (laughs) Praise Jesus. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all charis, the God of all unmerited favor, grace, what will He do? Who has called you to His eternal glory. Do you see the inheritance? I'm not looking about what's going on here. Jesus, Jesus, oh, it's amazing. Will Himself. Don't miss that. Will Himself. He's not getting someone else to do this for Him. Will Himself. Restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Wow. Oh, wow. That's encouraging, rich Scripture. Amen? You say, well, how do we take all that and then figure out the why behind it? I mean, how do we take that and really begin to unpack this why? But look at our last verse, verse 7 of 1 Peter chapter 1. Here it explains it very clearly. And you know this by now, church. There are two words in Scripture that will tip you off to the why. And what are those two words? So that. Here it is, verse 7. So that, here's the why. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, make it personal, which by the way, is more precious than gold, that perishes. I don't own a lot of gold. That probably shocks you, but I'm not a real bling-blinger. But gold's a pretty cool thing to have, I hear. It's a highly valuable metal, isn't it? It's worth a lot. And here, Peter, from his day, says, I need to paint a picture So hopefully you begin to latch on to this theological truth that your faith, your tested, genuine faith. Did you catch this? He didn't say this. So that your faith, more precious. He actually uses two words. He says that your tested genuineness of your faith. Wait a minute. What's he going at here? Well, Well, look at it. Here it is. So, tested, genuine. It literally means this, to be proven to be true. So, what Peter's saying here is so that your faith that has been proven to be true, not false. There are so many people all over our country, even today, on a Sunday morning inside churches, that the reality is their faith is phony. It's not real. There's no change. Jesus doesn't come into a life and somehow not change that life. That's not how this works. But yet there's so many all over our country that claim to have the fire insurance, but they really don't know Jesus and He doesn't know them. The tested genuineness. See, part of the reason of the why is that our faith will be proven to be true. When there's not any pressure, it's real easy to continue the charade, isn't it? But when the screws get tightened and the pressure gets on, what's really in us will come out of us. Testing, by the way, church, listen closely, testing is not for the purpose of destroying our faith. Testing is for the purpose of revealing our faith. 
So in the midst of it, we know our Redeemer lives. In the midst of it, we go, though you may slay me, yet I will trust in you. I mean, when it's real, it's real. And faith is not predicated on circumstances. Faith is predicated on the blood of Jesus. You think through this testing, you think through this genuineness, gold. He didn't use silver, copper, plastic. He said gold. It's precious. It's literally in the original, it's of great exceeding value. That's the picture. He's going, here is something that is so valuable, and yet your faith when it's real is infinitely more valuable for the true believer. It tests, it refines, it prunes. Literally there, that word tested means to scrutinize, to deem worthy, to prove to be true, especially after a thorough examination. You're going through the fire. It's hard. It's difficult. You're being thoroughly examined, and to come out, it's real. That's what the metalsmith does. But he puts her in there. Got that metal in there, and he's fashioning, creating that metal. So often they would talk to the metalsmith, and they would say, you know, how do you know when the metal's ready? Whatever substrate they're putting in there. And the metalsmith would reply, oh, that's easy. I know that when it's ready, I can see my reflection in it. Oh, think about that with Jesus. (laughs) He knows we're ready when he sees his reflection in us. It's tested. It's refined. What? To be found, the Scripture says in verse 7, that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious. Don't miss that. It's more precious to you today. You should say, look, my faith is the most important thing to me. Like, it's my faith. I'm going to hang on to this. I don't care who comes against me. I don't care what happens in my life. It's my faith that's most important to me. Why? That it may be found. It may be found, it may be revealed to result, to produce in these things, in the praise and the glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen? Have you thought about, as I alluded to earlier, have you thought about what it's going to be like on that day when you stand face to face with Jesus? Some people are looking forward to that day. Others truthfully are dreading that day. And the only way you dread that day is if your faith is not real. But when you know it's real, there's nothing to fear. There's nothing to fear in this life. We just press on for His glory, and it's found. It's producing something. The trials are working. They're producing. And the supreme goal, as I just stated, is that when our faith is tested, there will be praise. There will be honor in the midst of the trial. That's why our key number two is so important. Our final key, key number two, here's what it says. Trials test our faith to prove that it's real and to teach us to give glory to God in the storm, period. Let me say that again. Key number two, trials test our faith to prove that it's real and to teach us to give glory to God in the storm. Everyone can praise Jesus on the mountain, amen? 
man, when you're in the storm and the winds are howling and the boat's filling up with water and Jesus is in the back taking a nap, it's hard to praise Him, isn't it? But it goes back to our trust in Him. See, faith is trusting. If we believe God, church, if we believe God is really in it, He's going to lead us through it, amen? If we really believe that. Oh, I pray that we'll be a people, individuals and families that, that latch on to that deep theological truth. See, true faith in Christ will endure to the end. And the way that it endures is that when it's real, Christ will hold us fast. Amen. When it's real, you abide in the true vine, not the false ones. You abide in the true vine, and Jesus will hold you fast. No matter what you're dealing with today, if your faith is real and true, King Jesus will hold you in the storm. What a great refreshing truth that is from Scripture. But we've got to remember the four soils. And there's some by the wayside that have no root at all. And there's some that are rocky ground. The soil looks good on the surface, but you begin to mix in the seed as a bunch of rocks. They receive the Word with joy. This is fantastic. This is wonderful. Wait a minute. Hardship, trials, persecution. I'm out of here. That's faith that's not real. Wait a minute. There's a bunch of thorns around. This is great, but wait a minute. Here come the thorns. Here come all the thorn-infested soil and all that comes on with it. And wait a minute. What's going to happen? The deceitfulness of riches, the cares of this life choke out the Word. The faith's not real. But there's the good soil. It's the humble soil. It's the tender soil. It's the soil that says, all I want is You, Jesus. My life's not my own. I'm not created to live for me. I'm created to live for You, Jesus. That's the good soil. That's the soil that's on the mission making disciples, giving glory to God. That's the good soil. Which soil are you? See, our trials test our faith and they prove it's real. And they teach us to give glory to God in the storm. Write down Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, 3-4. through four. Paul again, Romans 5, an incredible chapter. They're all incredible, but Romans 5, read that later. Amazing. Romans 5, 3 through 4, here's what Paul says. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering. So, boy, here he goes again. Knowing, this confidence, knowing, here we go, that our suffering produces endurance, number one. Endurance produces, number two, character. And character produces hope, number three. Do you see that? Paul says we rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Because we know God's working. We know God's working. For the person that rejects the Word of God, the greatest prayer for that person is, Holy Spirit, will you break through? Break through. Soften that heart. Illuminate your Word in that heart. Remove the blinders and the scales. Set the captives free. Move them from death to life. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. But what happens, we know confidently, 
that we suffer, and when we do suffer, we know confidently that there's a production going on, a producing of endurance, character, and there's a hope that will not disappoint, a hope that will not fade away. Why? Because it's anchored in the inheritance of Jesus, and we can never lose that hope. We're not wishing, we're not hoping, not crossing our fingers. We know our Redeemer lives. Amen, church? Well, lastly, how about Romans 8.18? So write that one down, Romans 8.18. Here's Paul, and again, just listen to what he writes. Romans 8.18, for I consider, so I ponder, I think on, I embrace that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. Did you catch that? So the sufferings of today are not worthy. It means this in the original, they will not pass the test. The sufferings of today will not pass the test of the glory that will be revealed. Isn't that glorious? See, our hope is not here. Our hope's with Jesus. And as we ponder these thoughts and think about these, I believe our takeaway question will will prayerfully begin to drive this point home as we ask to ourselves here out loud. We simply ask, are my trials producing in me and revealing to me that my faith is more precious than anything this world could ever offer. Let me say that again. Question. Takeaway question. Are my trials, make it personal. Ask yourself as I ask myself, are my trials producing, working, resulting in me and revealing to me that my faith is more precious than anything this world could ever offer. You got to remember that Jesus warned the disciples. He said, Look, guys, here's the deal. If you hang around me and you follow me, people are going to hate you. Paul told Timothy, For those who desire to live godly in, in Christ Jesus, not apart from him, in him, they will suffer persecution. If you're one here today and you've laid it all on the line for Jesus, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Like your family's against you perhaps, your friends, co-workers, maybe even church people. You've just laid it all on the line. He said, I'm all in for Jesus. I don't want to get to the end with regret. I don't want to get to the end having made no difference. That's the takeaway question. But maybe you're asking, is the price that's required, is it too high? Well, I would answer it and ask it a different way. What's the price you're going to pay if you don't give your life to Jesus? I remember just now thinking of Hudson Taylor when he said, God's work done God's way never lacks God's supply. Ooh, it's good, isn't it? And that's why our action step is simply this. I will choose today to surrender all, not some, to be all in for Jesus. 
as he was and is all in for me. Here's our action step. You can't choose it for me and I can't choose it for you, but we can choose it for ourselves if we want it. I will choose today to surrender all, not some, to be all in for Jesus as he was and is all in for me. You know, the goal, by the way, on action steps and, you know, these little sheets that you have in front of you, the goal each week is just not to fill in a bunch of blanks. That's not the goal. Uh, The goal is that we would fill in the blanks and be transformed by the Word. The goal is we'd keep these weekly in our Bibles, and as we're studying each day in our Bibles, that we'd go through and meditate on the Scriptures and, and ask the Lord to continue to do a great work in each of our hearts it reminds me of so many thoughts even right now as I'm thinking. And, you know, if you think that you can somehow grow to be more like Jesus all while doing nothing and not being a self-feeder spiritually, you're only fooling yourself. This takes an intentional effort of really wanting to be all in. And once you are, watch out. God's going to rock your world. He's going to do things that are so amazing. It's going to be a hard path, I'm warning you. But it's going to be a path that you would never trade for anything. Because I believe Jim Elliott knew it well, that martyred missionary. And he went there to suffer for the gospel, potentially. And boy, he did. As he was executed and gave his life and He has so many glorious quotes, the richness of that life that was lived, that he left a life at a young age on the field here of this earth with no regrets, but he knew, he knew that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing. They won't stand the test to the glory which shall be revealed. And when he got executed that day, those many, many years ago for the gospel of Jesus Christ, can you only imagine what happened as he was ushered into the presence of King Jesus on that day? And this is a guy who knew the mission. This is a guy who simply resounded when he said these words. He is no fool. He's no fool to give what he cannot keep. He's no fool. He's no fool that gives what he cannot keep. To gain, to gain, to gain that which he can never lose. With so many people all across our country today are scrambling in a mad dash trying to gain the world. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but he loses his soul? He really is no fool who understands the deep biblical truth that he just gives away what he can't keep anyway to gain in exchange for eternal life, that which he can never lose. How about you today? What are your trials producing? I can assure you they're producing something What are they producing today? Father, we come before you in a time of humble submission, a time of seeking you and 
and reverence and fear. And oh Lord, we just simply cry out to you today to have your way. God, I pray your glory would just continue to rise above us as we go low and you go really high. God, my heart is stirred today because the reality is we are all investing into something. Why not invest our lives today, right now, into God's will, Your will, God, for our lives? A treasure that will never fade, imperishable, can never be destroyed, waiting, reserved, kept in heaven. Oh, Father, we just simply come before You today as a a needy people crying out to You to hear our prayers of repentance and confession. Hear our prayers of seeking revival, personal revival. Lord, as we come before You, Holy Spirit, would You stir in this place like never before? Would You move? Would You, would you woo? Help us to submit to You Help us to draw near to You and You will draw near to us. Oh God, help us to resist the devil and he will flee. Father, do a powerful, mighty move by Your Spirit right now as we give this time to You. God, whatever You want us to do, help us simply to be obedient and trusting You with the consequences of that obedience. We love You, Lord. We worship You. And we pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during this day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.